FOMO. I've always believed that no matter what you've done to date, um, you can always, that's always yours, right? It never goes away. And so if I ever wanted to go back to tech, I could do that. Right. And so, and, and that's what I always share with people. Like, you know, as my dad used to say, like, what's the worst that could happen? 15 years later, I mean, we've, you know, squashed those naysayers. Now I have more people, you know, coming to us saying like, why didn't you ask me to invest in the company? And, you know, along the way. That's Kara Golden, founder and CEO of Hint and author of the new best-selling book, Undaunted. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, and this is FOMO Sapiens. With the world spinning out of control, it can be impossible to know what to do and what to miss out on. That's called FOMO, which is short for fear of missing out. How do I know? Because I coined the term and I'm the world's first FOMologist. And this is the show where I ask entrepreneurial thinkers, people I call FOMO sapiens, how they live and work with conviction no matter what life throws at them. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome back, FOMO Sapiens. This week, we're going to be talking with Kara Golden, who is a true FOMO Sapiens. But before I tell you about Kara, I want to first ask you to do me a solid. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to FOMO Sapiens on your favorite app, whether it's Spotify or iTunes or Stitcher. I'm working on a blockbuster season with lots of great guests, so I want to make sure that you don't miss an episode. And if you subscribe, you will definitely not miss out. Now, let's talk about Kara. Kara is an extraordinary person. She's the CEO of Hint, the leading flavored water company. She's got a best-selling book out right now. She's the host of the podcast, The Kara Golden Show, where I'll be showing up this week. She is a FOMO sapiens par excellence. She does lots of things, but she gets them done and she makes all of it come together in a really smart way. And by the way, if you haven't tried Hint, so Kara was so kind to send me a box of Hint before she came on the show. I tried it. I drank it in about a week. I loved it. I buy it now. I'm, this is not an ad for Hint. I am not being compensated by Kara, but I will tell you, I really liked it. So if you haven't tried the water, give it a try. It's tasty. Now, the reason why Kara is such a great FOMO sapiens and gets things done is that she is completely mission-driven. For example, the idea of starting Hint came from her own struggle with losing weight and getting healthy after childbirth. So she experimented with putting fruit in water, developed a prototype, and then walked into her local Whole Foods and got it on the shelf. And as she's grown the business, she's been a powerful evangelist for the product because she knows how important it was for her to replace sugary drinks with water. This is authenticity, of course. I hate that word. I prefer genuine, but it is authentic as well. And I love that because it kept her going when she faced lots of no's from all of the doubters. And guess what? 15 years on, Hint has tens of millions of money from venture capitalists and has revenues exceeding $150 million. That is crazy. So if you ever wondered how to start a business based on your own interests or passions, you're going to get a lot out of today's show. And then stick around for the full moment of the show where I'm going to talk about my own take on how you can find business ideas in your own life. It feels like at least once a week, I think of a cool idea or a business idea, yet I never quite know if those ideas will work or not, or whether they'll actually keep my interest for too long, right? I'm a FOMO sapien, so I get distracted. And so I have a special way of thinking about how you can figure out whether these little ideas that kick around in your head are worth exploring for real. And now on to the interview. So Kara started her career in corporate sales at both America Online, remember them, and CNN before starting Hint. In fact, she calls herself an accidental entrepreneur. So to get started, I asked Kara why she uses the word accidental. 
So I, I've met a lot of entrepreneurs over the years who share that they've always wanted to be an entrepreneur and or their parents always told them that they were going to be an entrepreneur. And that is not my story. I mean, for me, it was it was really, um, you know, seeing a problem in front of me and frankly, just getting frustrated that the the product that I thought should be on the market wasn't out there. And so while I had worked in very entrepreneurial companies, including CNN and um, the spin out that I worked at from Apple and then AOL and loved, you know, that environment, I never thought or dreamed that I was ultimately going to go and start a beverage company. So that that's really my, my big uh, kind of aha moment on entrepreneurism. Now, the way you tell the story is that you basically, you were looking to have a healthier lifestyle, drink less beverages, sort of, sort of soda beverages, and you were putting fruit in water to make it taste better. So you drink more of it. And then you, it occurred to you, actually, you know, nobody's doing this, right? So like maybe there's an opportunity and you started scouting around and, and putting together a product. But I'm curious, when did it go from you know, sort of a speculative idea to thinking like, you know, maybe I'll invest some time and money into coming up with a product and trying to get it to market. Like, how did you make that leap? So I took, I, I was at AOL for seven years and I had started my family. I had three kids. And, you know, the main reason why I left AOL was because I was traveling so much and the United Airlines pilot out of SFO knew my name. And, I, you know, I would like <laughs> joke around with my friends. I'm like, does the United pilot know your name? Like, he's like, hey, Kara, what's up? You know, and I was like, there's just like something wrong. And my, uh, my husband was an attorney in Silicon Valley and like somehow we had three kids along the way, but I was just spending way too much time on the East Coast and for not living there and was, you know, doing something pretty unpopular, actually, like the sort of, you know, common thing that people would say to me, don't take too much time off because that's like bad. And I'm like, like, how much time is really bad, you know, and before it's, you know, really bad. And nobody really had an answer, but I just, you know, it definitely wasn't popular. And so, that's when I decided, well, while I'm really looking for that perfect gig that I really want to do, maybe I should stop and pay attention to my health. I had gained a bunch of weight over all of these pregnancies. I had been a competitive athlete growing up and never had a weight issue. I developed terrible adult acne that I was like, where did this come from? I didn't know who I was. Like, I was just like, this is, you know, not me. So that's when I really started reading labels. So one day, my Diet Coke can was sitting facing me perfectly, and I started looking at the ingredients and recognizing that there is so much stuff in this can that is, um, you know, I don't even know what it is. So I decided, let me put it to the side and see you know, what happens? I really didn't think anything was going to happen, but I've been trying all different things. And that is when I realized two and a half weeks later that I lost over 24 pounds in two and a half weeks. My skin issues were totally gone and my energy levels were back. So you're feeling good. You're looking good. You're back. What happens next? Because for a lot of people, you say, wow, what a great, what a great way to get in shape. Okay. On to regular life how do you connect that backstory to what you what you did next 
that that was sort of the backstory of and and really kind of the moment, the aha moment where I just decided, gosh, I'm going to get a couple products on the shelf because I've been slicing up fruit and throwing it in my water that I've been drinking and it's helping me to, you know, drink water because I hated the taste of water. I just thought it was super boring. And that's when I, you know, started like thinking, wow, how do you get a product on the shelf at Whole Foods? That'd be pretty darn cool. And I was interviewing for jobs in tech and that's when, you know, I just decided, I don't know, I might find something in tech eventually that I really want to do. But in the meantime, uh, you know, it'd be super fun to just get some products on the shelf. And that frankly was, you know, pretty funny because I didn't even think this was a company. Like people were like, that's so cool. You started your own company. And I'm like, that that's not a company. Like I worked at companies like AOL and CNN. This is like three skews, three flavors of water that I'm putting on the shelf. And like, I almost fought against myself um, to to launch this in many ways because I didn't have any any experience in the industry because I, you know, I doubted myself. I you know thought I, I saw so many challenges in front of me that I kept thinking, um, you know, I'm never going to be able to do this. And then I'd like reset and say, okay, I I'm going to go do this. Let me ask you something here. Now you write about the fact that your father worked at a lot, you know, ConAgra mm-hmm. and came up with healthy choice frozen meals, which were healthy. And by the way, I was, a, I was a major consumer of these things as a kid. So, you know, I was putting money in the, in the, in the pockets of the, of your family at Very some point. Or another. And then you say that, you know, he'd always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but when you, when, when he talked about doing it, he said, you know, it's just going to be too hard. And so some people who have great experience they just won't do it for one reason or another. It's too hard. It's too scary. I need stability. And then some people who maybe don't have the quote unquote experience go out and start things and scale them and make big companies. What's the difference between those two people? It's a good question. I mean, I think the, the, I wish, uh, so my dad passed away 10 years ago and, you know, these are questions that I would have loved to have asked him. Like what, what made him believe that he couldn't do it or that it wasn't a priority or that it was too hard, you know, in the end, I mean, it, it was, it's an, you know, interesting story about my dad, because I think that my dad would have probably had a very difficult time articulating this. But I think what my dad really cared about is he had five kids. And so people often say to me, um, you know, should I go start a company? And I think about the story a lot, because I think my dad wanted to put food on the table for us and make sure that we had money for me to take gymnastics lessons and swimming lessons and football and like all of us were in sports, right? And so I think for him, like he had this massive responsibility. And even when I, you know, was one of the youngest vice presidents at AOL, like everybody around him was like, wow, you're like at AOL and you're doing cool stuff and you're, you know, female and you're VP, whatever. My dad was like, oh, she graduated from college. Like, <laughs> where I was like, I, I did do that. Yes, I, I did. But it was just weird things that he really saw as success. And it was less, I guess it was less about him and it was more about his family. Quick math. 
The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to NetSuite.com slash FOMO. That's NetSuite.com slash FOMO. NetSuite.com slash FOMO. So you were not the traditional founder, right? The traditional founder, by the way, we both know is fallacy and a lot of listeners know is fallacy. It's like this 22-year-old tech genius, innovating, you know, all of a sudden Mark Zuckerberg, like those, that's the exception, not totally. the rule, but you were, you were still, you're, you're in your thirties. It's your first time in an industry you hadn't worked in before, uh, in Silicon Valley, but not doing technology, right? You're doing a, a, a beverage company that is mission driven, but it's not, um, that it's like imminently scalable in the way that, that Google is mm -hmm. right. So when you walk into a room, I imagine a lot of people were like, what are you doing? Right. Why don't you go do something in the tech world? How did you, Number one, how did you sort of overcome the naysayers? And number two, how did you how did you continue forward and leave that all behind that negativity? Yeah, well, it, and it was almost a double whammy too because um, you know my husband was in Silicon Valley too, and he saw me writing you know fifty thousand dollar checks off our bank account, and so he was kind of like he was a little worried, right? Like at that point, he was like, "Wait, what? What are you doing? You have no experience in this. Why do you want to do it?" And then when he saw how passionate I was about, you know, and how I viewed this as not just a beverage company, but a way to actually change the world. Like if we could get people to enjoy water and move them away from, you know, this thing that they've been, you know, told to drink soda, then we would actually change a lot of things. And he was like, wow, like that's pretty crazy. Like it's just people won't see it's coming. You've got a great tasting product and they'll get they'll get he healthier. That's what I saw in actually, you know, creating this, that it wasn't just about a product, it was really about a movement and it was around making things right. And so that that to me, you know, was was super huge. And then, you know, one other thing that I'll say that, you know, I always tell people is that, I've always believed that no matter what you've done to date, um, you can always, that's always yours, right? It never goes away. And so if I ever wanted to go back to tech, I could do that, right? And so, and and that's what I always share with people. Like, you know, as my dad used to say, what's the worst that could happen? 15 years later, I mean, we've we've sort of, you know, squashed those naysayers. Now I have more people, you know, coming to us saying like, why didn't you ask me to invest in the company and, you know, along the way? When you're building a business like what you built, this is mission driven, you made decisions. You made decisions about the content of the product, the way you marketed it, the way you manufactured it, right? It's made in the USA. You're not importing all these things from all over the world, which would make it a cheaper product, but would compromise some of the 
the things that are core to, to what you believe the product needs to be. But there's trade-offs. As you make those decisions, how do you weigh those trade-offs? How do you, because there's a lot of temptation. It's like, well, you know, we could make another extra, you know, margin on this product or that product if we just, you know, imported our flavors from abroad. So how do you, is this something you do on your own? Is it your team? Is it, do you have a mission statement? Like wh what is the so sort of calculus that you're running? Yeah, I think it really goes, I mean, definitely have a team of people. We have over a couple hundred people. We're not, we're not the size of Google, but you know, we're, we're pretty good size. Um, but I think it really just goes back to, to core values uh, of the company. And, and we've always believed in making sure that our product is um, distributed as close to the manufacturer. Um, so, or I should say manufactured as close to our distribution points. And so for us, when we, you know, the, people talked about carbon footprints over the years and we would just try and get our arms around the idea of, of actually bringing a can over from Asia and then a company calling themselves carbon neutral or so, and like, we were like, wait, what? Like, how, how does that all work? Or another company actually produces their, uh, bottles in the U S but then actually bottles it, um, it over on some Island in Asia and then brings it back. And then they're doing commercials around, you know, and so we've sort of joked about that, like over the years and really just thought like, we can't really control what other people do. We just know what we what we can do, and so I, I feel like there's. Um, I think it's just being educated, and and even though there's there's definitely a lot of people out there that can kind of spin, you know, these stories. I think for us, it was just it was more about nah, maybe I don't know maybe there's something that we're missing, but let's just do what's right for for our company. And as I always think about all of these businesses and what I say to entrepreneurs, none of this is brain surgery. It's just putting your hat on and having a little bit of confidence and trusting your gut and just thinking. You just mentioned trusting your gut, right? So it's a good question. We think about some of the things you decided over the years. Some of them were clearly data-driven, right? It's sort of like, well, we can look at a market and see, should we produce here or there? And we can actually run the numbers and we can make mm -hmm. a decision. Some of the things are about core values and gut. So how do you think about the interplay between those two elements, you know, as you run the business on a day-to-day -day basis. Look, I could go out and find data that says that people like sweet, right? And and that we should like put sweeteners in our product because that's what they like. But at the end of the day, that's not what our mission is. That's not what our core values are. Our core values are to actually get people to drink water. And so I think these core values that you have in a company, you cross those with the data for sure. Um, but I think it's it's uh, it's something that you going away from those core values of your actual brand and what the ethos is and and everything and and that expands too because when you think about um, you know when we were first starting to manufacture, we didn't we we sort of that wasn't necessarily a core value, um, actually doing everything in the U.S., but I think we, when we looked at it, we thought, I don't know, it just, it just doesn't seem like it's sort of like the data that is adding up to sort of this carbon footprint thing. Like We were just like, ah, it's a little too hard to understand. And so 
I don't know. We just, I just like things that are kind of easy, right? Like maybe this business is hard, but I always try to simplify it into a place or I'm, I'm okay with not moving forward on things if I don't really understand things. Because what I've learned is that I am a very smart person. And if something is too complicated, it's usually not worth risking moving forward on it. And it, this has come over and over and over again where I say, I knew it. Like, we should not have done that. And we've watched companies get burned by it, frankly. What, what I find interesting about this particular industry and about your journey is, I'm. you think about it, it's like starting a beverage company where you're going to be competing for shelf space with these massive, massive companies that they call the shots. Like, there's no... There's no doubt about that. They call the shots. You come in, you create a product. And if they had wanted to, or they'd had got their act together, they could have thrown a lot of money into trying to do what you do and maybe even run you out of town. But for some reason that hasn't happened. So what is it about how they make decisions and about how you make decisions that's different that allows you, the underdog, to come in and continuously grow and grow and grow and be successful? So first of all, they have competed against us. Um, so Dasani Essence Water was the first time um, that they came out with a competitive product. And we actually lost. Um, we were kicked out of Target when that happened. Um, so it, another story that I tell often you know, to entrepreneurs that there's no guarantees, just like there's no stability, right? You get kicked out of places like one day you have distribution, next day you don't have distribution. And it's like it's a crazy world. That's out there. And the only way that you can protect yourself is to diversify and have as much distribution as possible. Unfortunately, what large companies are not good at, and I've worked in large companies, I've worked in in them when they were small and then they become large, is actually innovating. And and they, they even have like these innovation groups inside the company, but it takes time. Right. And it's a lot of sweat and you've got to roll up your sleeves and do that stuff. And they just aren't good at it. And I think every executive from, you know, Coke to Unilever to J&J, like they would all say the same thing. Like they're terrible. Yeah. And one of the things that happens, of course, is because you have scarce resources, because it's not so easy, you have to find clever, nimble ways to do things. And so one thing that I think is interesting about your strategy is you couldn't get data on your customers. You, you couldn't figure out who's buying your product at a place like Amazon because they're not going to give you that. And so you had to actually figure out how to get that information for yourself and build your own direct-to-consumer website where you could gather that data and then sell to your customers directly. So how did you do that? Because that's a big project. It's a big decision. It's going to be power, but what's what's the story behind that? After sort of another incident where we were um, kicked out of Starbucks. And uh, another thing that I you know, talk about in the book that was a bad day in the history, but actually it ended up to be a really good thing because the uh, Amazon buyer called me and said, hey, we're you know, really going to put the gas on Amazon grocery and I buy your product all the time at Starbucks. I didn't even have the heart to tell him that we had just gotten kicked out of Starbucks. And even though we were doing really well in Starbucks. And so Um, so we became one of the number one products on Amazon grocery and in Amazon prime. And then after a year of working with Amazon, they weren't going to give us any data. And so I went back to my roots of, you know, knowing what 
I had at AOL that I didn't have this whole time while I was building this, like I was missing. I, Kroger wasn't going to give me any data and information. Target wasn't either. And so we um, continued to build on Amazon, continued to build on the rest of our stores. And then we launched drinkhint.com. And today, drinkhint.com is over 50% of our overall business. In March, when COVID hit, and we had a huge problem with um, having, you know, stores had a huge problem with stocking the shelves. They were having a really, really tough time. And the um, software that basically uh, was supposed to be ordering, automatically ordering for these stores that, you know, off the cash register was not working. It was totally overwhelmed. And so um, we not only sent trucks immediately into all of our stores across the country, but we also sent out an email to our, you know, over a million consumers on Hint. And we said, by the way, if you can't find a product in a store, like support your local stores, but if you can't find it, just go on drinkhint.com. We had like a 60% response rate off of, uh, off of that email. And people want to say like, oh, you know, you, like you can't sell water like online, it's too heavy, you know, it doesn't make sense. I'm like, I don't know, like we sell it every week. Like it's, Pretty big business. And and that's the thing that, that that I think a lot of us have learned in this pandemic, right? Is that if you set it up right and you build the systems and all the things you need to take autonomy back, diversify and be able to call the shots for yourself, you're not relying on other people, whether that's in building a business or in your career or in the rest of your life, it makes a big difference. And so what I'd love to get from you is your advice in this time where so much is in the air, where we don't know what's coming at us, but we all have to get up out of bed every morning and, and live our lives and build our careers and build our businesses. What's your advice to people to do that, to build the autonomy they need to succeed no matter what happens? I think we all have a moment where we think, gosh, I wish that product or that service was out there. And I, I really think it's, it's a gift to you that you get these. How many times do you, you know, have that thought and then you see that somebody else has gone and, and built it and you're like, ah, that was my idea. Like, I'm kind of glad that it's out there now, but just, just go do it. That doesn't mean that you have to quit your job either. Like maybe you sit there and work on it on weekends. I always tell people like, what's the rush? Like, what's the, what's the rush to figure this stuff out? Um, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years. Like I actually, I wanted to spend time with my kids. I started this company, four kids under the age of six. And, you know, I wanted to go to mommy and me classes at 3 p.m., you know, and so I took a few hours off in the afternoon and then I'd be back on after dinner and, um, and you know, totally unconventional, um, but I think it, it's definitely doable. So I think the the more important thing is, is, Get out of your own way, figure out what you ultimately want to do and if that'll make you happy and, you know, figure out how do you execute on it and at least try. I love it. Try, start small, 10% is the number I yeah. like to start with, but go out there and do something. It sounds, it's a great advice. And uh, I think in this time we need to listen to that kind of advice. Kara Golden, the book is Undaunted and you can order it at www.karagolden.com. That's G-O-L-D-I-N. And you can find Kara on all social channels at Kara Golden. Kara, thanks a lot. Thank you so much. 
Tudo bem, meus queridos Fomo Sapiens? Now that right there was Portuguese, and as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. And now it's time for the foam moment of the show. And I want to talk today about how you can think about all of those great business ideas, or maybe not great business ideas, that pop into your head as you move through the world. If you're listening right now, which you obviously are, you are a FOMO sapiens. And so you, as a FOMO sapiens, are going to think like an entrepreneur all the time. It's part of who you are, and you're curious. But how do you convert all that energy into profits? Okay, here's what you do. And this is based on the Patrick J. McGinnis system, which I promise actually works because I use it and it's turned into some real stuff for me. So there are six steps. Ready? Step number one, write it down. If you put something on paper, it's a lot harder to have flawed reasoning and to lie to yourself. When you have to commit it to paper, you have to come up with some basic logic. If not, it basically doesn't even stick to the page. So write the idea down, keep a list, start writing it down, adding to it fleshing out your ideas as you go along. Number two, do some research. I mean, that's an obvious point, but don't just research on Google. Uh, searching for things on Google is a great way to start, but reach out to people who actually know something about the industry. For example, if you're trying to open an ice cream shop in New York City, go to the blocks where you think you might want to open an ice cream shop and ask people on the street whether they would buy ice cream on the block. Go hang out at another ice cream shop in another town or another part of your city and talk to the owner. Try to get real-world data. I remember earlier in my career, I made this investment. It was in Turkey, and it was in a retail chain. And we had a couple stores open, and we were going to put in a bunch more money. And you know what we didn't do? We didn't visit the store and stand outside. And when I later did that, because the company was doing terrible, what I realized, people would walk by, scratch their heads, and keep walking on because they didn't quite understand what it, we were actually selling in the store. The concept wasn't clear. So there are so many ways to gather data in the real world. The world is a laboratory. So go out and experiment outside of your home and your computer. Number three, have a thought partner. It's much easier to flesh out ideas, criticize them, Think about their flaws if you have somebody around you who can help you think. And so this person could become your business partner or it could just be somebody who you've kind of designated as a skeptic, but having somebody else there to help you think through the challenges, the ideas, the opportunities is super valuable. Number four, make a prototype what's called a minimum viable product or an MVP. Read the book, The Lean Startup by Eric Ries. That book will explain to you how you can quickly and cheaply make a prototype for most things out there. And let's take the example of the ice cream shop. You could make ice cream out of your kitchen and sell it at a fair or at a local restaurant or whatever place in your community would allow you to do that. Think about what Carrot did. She had this initial product that she brought into the local Whole Foods. That's an MVP. It's a great way to invest very little money and time and start to figure out if your product is something that people want. Number five, 
solicit user feedback. Now that your people are trying your product, ask them what they think of it. Do they like it? Do they think it's terrible? Is it good? And then write that down. Go ahead and put that back up in step one when you're writing things down and start to gather data, build that dossier, that file about this idea you're working on. And number six, the final one, the gut check. Ask yourself, do I actually want to do this for the next five or 10 years? Because guess what? Any entrepreneurial venture, even the most successful ones, is going to take five to 10 years to scale. That's just the nature of the beast. And so you want to know that, for example, this ice cream thing, you're not going to be annoyed selling ice cream in the middle of January if you live in Canada, which, by the way, is, I imagine, really tough. I don't know. Canadians, write and tell me if you still like to eat ice cream in the middle of January. Okay, so those are my six steps. That's how I do it. But I'm sure some of you have your own ideas and strategies. So drop me a note at letsconnect at patrickmcginnis.com or find me on Twitter or Instagram and tell me what works for you. I'll share the best ones on a future episode of the show. FOMO. Big news. We now have a brand new website. So head over to FOMOSapiens.com where you can listen to past episodes, learn more about the show, and find out how to advertise. Also, head over to Spotify where you can find and follow playlists of the best of the show. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you, so don't be shy. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO. FOMO.